are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I'm one of three hosts here, David EJ Berger. You can follow our show handle at MB9Tennis on Twitter and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome in. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. Not with me, as always, once again, Derek. I think we need to put his face on a milk carton, actually. Um, Derek, <laughs> where are you at, bro? But we are still going from California to Canada. As I'm based in Los Angeles, and we're headed over to Toronto, where Mr. John Reed calls home. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. Hey, second biggest city to the third biggest city on the continent. Most Americans don't know that. They say, where's Toronto? I go, how do you not know a city that's bigger than fucking Chicago? But that's beside the point. Disrespect. The dis- <laughs> the Canadian disrespect. Yeah, we're, we're just short of, we're, we're shy of a New Yorker to have the, uh, someone from the three biggest cities in Canada. You're a quasi three sport town. Well, no, you're, yeah. th- no, no you're three. Th- you're a three sport town. You're not a, you're a quasi four because you have the argument. No, we're not. The, the Children's Football League is not a, even a quasi sport. <laughs> Don't go there. Do you know what their attendance is in a city of millions? They get, they draw like last year, I think they drew 9,000 a game. The only time they got over 10,000 were when Hamilton was in town. And that's because Hamilton is like 40 minutes down the like a highway or there's a there's a train that you can get on that takes you there and they come and invade our stadium they think they're so cool it's like we don't care about this league it's an eight-team league it's like that's what kids play in in, in like rec leagues <laughs> it's, just, it's not eight, a, it's not a real sport eight-team league and i'm pretty sure punters get taken in like the second round of the draft <laughs> <laughs> dude you get a point for missing field goals as long as it doesn't get run out of the end zone you get a point for that it's like it's a participation point come on that's not professional sport. All right. Well, people are here to listen to us talk about tennis, not the Canadian Football <laughs> League. So we should get into it. And we always kick it off with our accountability segment called, What Did We Win? What Did We Learn? Wins. How about a clean sweep, John? Alex Demonor, Moneyline, plus 100, cash it. Alex Bublik, Moneyline, plus 220. Talked about a small play on him versus Zverev, cash it. Andre Rublev, Moneyline, minus 145. It got down to like minus 130, cash that. Alcaraz over Corda, we had that as well. Losses, none. We didn't learn it all that last podcast. And uh, Alcaraz wins London, called my shot, and he comes through for me. Not exactly going out on a limb, saying the second best player in the entire planet is going to win a tournament. (laughs) But I was glad to see him pull through for me and not make me look like an idiot. Since we didn't do a lot of learning, uh, let's go find some winners this week. Right after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, John, we got two Grass 250 events this week. The week before Slam, so these are always rocky propositions when it comes to betting, but also good spots to find value, much like Zhang Jian today, plus 395 on the money line versus Lorenzo Sonego. Cash it. You tip that on your Tidbits Tennis, so make sure everyone follows at Tidbits Tennis for his daily picks. Let's start off in the United Kingdom at Eastbourne. This Grass 250 event started out with just a women's side in 1974. In fact, Tennis Channel's own Shonda Rubin has won this twice in 2002 and 2003. Fun little fact there. In 2009, the ATP joined in. Last year, Taylor Fritz beat Maxime Cressy in three sets, 6 Alex Dimonor won in 2021 against Zanego, who lost today versus Zhang, as we mentioned. Fritz won in 2019 as well. Misha Zverev, the Frank Stallone... To big uh, big Z's, Alex Zverev's Sylvester Stallone won in 2018. Novak Djokovic in 2017. Feli Lopez twice in the past. Andy Roddick 
has won this as well. So big servers obviously in play. John, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Norm McDonald, but he always had a running bit about, and who did it? You guessed it, Frank Stallone. <laughs> Norm McDonald, the comedian, yeah. No, McDonald. All right, well, uh, oh. I'll just make myself laugh at that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, weather-wise, uh, looks to be some rain on the horizon on Thursday and Saturday. Uh, guys are already sliding all over, so it could get worse. And like I said, it's uh, the week before a slam, so always expect the unexpected. John hits as a dog. Yeah, we're looking, we're looking for... Some dog bombs here. What are your thoughts on this tournament so far, John? Uh, honestly, it's it, like you said, it's the week before a slam, which also means slam qualifying, right? So I have some volume at these events like Zhang, but I kind of just try and stick with dogs because, you know, one, it's grass and, and in on the men's tour where pretty much 90% of players have pretty strong serves, you're going to find closer matches just by the nature of grass courts. And again, motivation wise, they're the ones that are going to be, you know, on top of their game, 250 points for a guy like, let's say Xi Zhang is pretty freaking important. That's a lot, right? It's not your, your top dogs, 250 points, isn't going to move the needle much. The the difference between 10th and, and eighth, I think is greater than that. So you're not moving up a ton in the rankings guys like Zhang though, in the down in that 80, 90 range, it is big for them. So that's pretty much where I try and focus. I think I only have four tour level plays today between, the men and the women, and there's four events going on. So my thoughts on this week and, and this event, enjoy the tennis, watch it as a fan, do some tape study for next week, watch for any potential injuries. And this is coming from an extremely high volume better. When I say don't go nuts, probably best to take it a little easier uh, on the volume this week at these at these sorts of events. Well, let's dip into some draw talk here. Anyway, here, as uh, I want to make sure that people are informed, as that's why we're here. As, uh, mm-hmm. And I will clear some pathway to talk some Wimbledon qualities. Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul, a pair of Americans, are the top two seeds here. Fritz is on top part of the bracket. Tommy Paul is on the bottom here. Seeds remaining are Jari, who's taking on Gregor Barrere. Kashmanovic is the eight seed. He takes on Vukic next. And Sarundalo, Frankie Sarundalo is the four seed. Now, I have picked Fritz the last two weeks uh, in this segment and the tournaments he's been playing, and uh, he has not delivered. So this is a three strikes and you're out situation for me. A perplexing grass season for Fritz. I feel like he's left some some things on the table so far. Takes on Mackie McDonald next. He would get the winner of Brody Emer. And with Zhang beating Sinego, he would be coming to him at the end. He would have to be Surundolo, Husler, Cressy, Zhang. Cressy is an interesting player to talk about because obviously he stinks right now. Um, did pick up a win finally against Galan, but he's been pretty bad. I do wonder though, because he's like a, has a very repeatable. We talk about these guys that have a, a very repeatable game, in form or not. He's been really bad, uh, but could there be some value here when everyone's off Cressy? Maybe things suddenly click in this week and the ball lands a little cleaner for him and he can get kind of deep into this thing. No. My final answer, no. As <laughs> Alaregis Philbin, circa the early 2000s with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. But uh, no, I, I'm at a loss for words. Two things that don't happen with me. Low volume betting and being at a loss for words. I just, I think he loses to Zhang, if I'm being honest. Zhang should find more break opportunities than Galan did. Now he's a little bit more error prone, but he does like the quicker courts and just slapping those first balls after his serves back through the open court, you know, the flat hitting the way they're going to skid through. He's going to find a lot of plus one winners if he doesn't just find straight up aces or unreturned serves uh, against Cressy. He's got a good serve. He's got good power on his forehand. He's got aggression, uh, like an aggressive mindset, I should say. He's got everything you need. Uh, and, you know, he hasn't been in great form either, but I-, I trust him 
especially a win over Sinego is more impressive than Galan one and two. He's just a more well-rounded player. And I trust him to, to kind of find his game, if you will, more than, more than I trust Cressy, who is, is just dependent on that serve landing and two double faults in a game. If he's broken, I don't know if Zhang's going to cough it back up. Uh, he, he was broken a few times today, I think by Sinego, but that's a much better returner than someone like Maxime Cressy. What about Michael Emer? He has done nothing for a very long time. He typically uh, has a little pop the week before a slam. Uh, obviously uh, got himself tossed out of the event the week before the French. But we have seen him. I think he made it the Winston-Salem final a couple of years ago before the U.S. Open. I would think he's looking as someone who's looking for results. That's the thing, too, is like you're looking for these guys who don't have a lot of incentive this week. Uh, versus guys who do. I think he's a player. It certainly does. He's taking on Liam Brody next. I think he can probably get through that. Depending on the price versus Fritz, I mean, if he's like, again, like plus 395, like Zhang was today versus Fritz, I- I'm not sh- sure about, you know, a quarter price or something on Neymar. But if he's like way too big against Fritz, who has done nothing, I, I don't think that that's a-, a bad look. On the bottom half, uh, my boy Van Ash, uh, Luca Van Ash, he-, he picked up his first grass wins through qualies and against uh, Lofhagen, who was a pretty sexy dog pick at plus 220. There were 11 breaks in that match. (laughs) He served for the match, I think, several times. It was a pretty big choke from George Lofhagen. Yeah, and uh, I have a new... uh, We've been working uh, with with me and uh, King Mullet. Um, I've been workshopping a new nickname here for Van Ash. It's the Ashinator. Uh, I don't know if anyone has seen... The movie American Pie, uh, there's a character named the Shermanator, very mm-hmm. uh, pronounced forehead, uh, much, much <laughs> like... <laughs> he was the redhead, right? The Shermanator? Yeah. Much like uh, Mr. Van Ash, uh, similar <laughs> nose as well. So moving forward, I will be calling him the Ashinator. <laughs> I mean, Ashman is a little too on the nose. <laughs> I do like a good Seinfeld reference, but uh, yeah, we'll get into his match here versus Wolf. JJ Wolf, I think certainly, uh, if he can get past Van Ash, is someone. You know, Tommy Paul doesn't have a ton of incentive other than gaining form going into this event. Jari, Barrer, Kashmanovich. This is a who's who. Like, if you are doing futures, I mean, you always want the longer shots, but man, this is a potluck of dudes. <laughs> like, any of these dudes could end up uh, winning the quarter, getting to the semifinal. Uh, it's anyone's game. You, uh, just take a couple long shots here. I like your look with JJ Wolf. Honestly, he's got a winnable match against Van Ash. Should he should find more break opportunities than he has to save himself. But with Van Ash's returning prowess, I mean, it, I didn't know if it would translate to grass. It clearly has. I mean, it's it's incredible. But JJ's got a better kind of more well-rounded game than someone like a George Lofhagen who once that serve is in play. Anything that happens after that is a clear advantage to someone like Van Ash, who's a great baseliner. I don't know if that's the case here. J.J. Wolf is a pretty damn good baseliner himself, moves okay, has far more power, has a game more suited to the surface. I mean, that should be a, a, a win for him. And even if Tommy is motivated, I don't think that's as straightforward a match as a lot of people may think it is. J.J. Wolf can hold his own against Tommy Paul. They're both going to have a lot of forehand winners. They're both going to look to be aggressive. They're both going to find some cheap points on serve. They both like, I believe, quicker courts. Or is Tommy a slow, slow hardcore guy? I can never remember with Tommy Paul. It's just a well-rounded player. He likes uh, him like, general, a, like a medium slow, yeah. Yeah, okay. And like J.J., of course, prefers them quicker. So I, I, I don't hate J.J. in that fourth quarter. I mean, if somehow, some way, Sebastian Baez were to upset Tommy Paul, 
in the vein that you were alluding to, like Tommy might just be here. Who knows why? And if he isn't, doesn't care about finding a few grass wins and Sebastian Baez comes through JJ's in the semis in my mind, right? I'm just penciling him through. So I don't hate that look in the fourth quarter. I think, you know, Barrera is someone I would look at in the third quarter as my long shot. He's a huge underdog to Nico Jari in that, that second round match. I think he's got a good chance. Emil Rusuvori doesn't have the, the sheer power of Hari, but he has, look at that. I just used two, the same name, pronounced it two different ways. What an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but Bar- I, I think Barrera is coming off a very good win against someone like Rusuvori that prepares him well for Jari. Again, Rusuvori doesn't have that raw power that the Chilean does, but he's a far more well-rounded player, still dictates really well, still likes quicker courts. I don't mind Barrera to, to go on a run here. And Kichmanovic, I mean, Wu was terrible in that matchup, but it was still two tie breaks. He was just so, like, so spray. I don't know the, another way to put that. Like, he was le- he was leaky. Very leaky with errors all throughout the match. Came back from a breakdown late in the first set just to lose it in a tie break. Blew his break lead in the second just to lose it in a tie break. The forehand was wonky. Uh, he was the far better player. He likes quicker courts. It was plain as day. He just kind of just kept coughing the match away. Uh, so I don't mind Barrera in that third quarter. Jari kind of a low-key candidate for someone maybe not giving the best effort. I mean, he's had pretty good results all year. Like, there's not a huge need for him to have a, a, a big week at this depleted field where he could compete. I mean, he could just naturally because he has a, a pretty stable game. But that said, I mean, like, just if things get a little too tight, going home, getting ready for Wimbledon, where I'm sure he's coming in with a lot of confidence based on his play for the entire you know year, under the radar candidate to to bail. All right, John, well, let's pivot over to some match play talk here. I have Mio Kachmanovic versus Alex Vukic first up here. This is a, a classic spot here where we have a trendy dog and a, a decreasing favorite. Kachmanovic is way down. He opened up as an over $2 favorite on Bet Online. now. He's down to minus 165. Vukic was like plus 180, now is down to plus 145 on the money line as a dog. So as we sit here, Kashmanovic is a two-game favorite. You can get him at minus 165 on the money line on Bet Online. The total's at 23. Let's see. On Bovada, Kashmanovic still at the minus 180, so not down as far. And you can get Vukic plus 150. Now, I understand why people like the Vukic side, because Kashmanovic has been pretty bad on grass. Not great. And, and Vukic typically a guy who prefers quicker conditions australian also like we've seen the aussies play well on grass typically have more grass prowess however i sadly think this is a pretty good spot to back kashmanovic who i hate and i am a kashmanovic fader but vukic hasn't exactly like been rolling you could argue he luck boxed that win versus nakashima to get to this spot last round he was down a break in the third and got it back i think nakashima served for that match right yes he did gets broken serving it out and then a single mini break in the tie break gets him the win yeah because nakashima can't return right i tweeted about this he came in in 2023 with a 14.4 break percentage uh and started out i think over 12 or over 30 like he he broke vukic one time and i I know vukic has a big serve i know it's grass but it's like one mini break's gonna do it against nakashima because for some reason even though he has the build of someone you would expect not to be totally incompetent he returns as though he's hubert Hercatch or freaking john isner or like you know these big dudes that can't move but that have booming serves he he needs to be better on return i don't understand why he's so bad but 
you have to take any win for Vukic with a grain of salt when he's holding at that rate because Nakashima is just a poor returner for whatever reason. Vukic started out this grass season with losses to Savanja and Michelson. Zach Svita has been actually surprisingly good. I think I don't know if I picked him to win his section at Wimbledon Qualies, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did emerge. He, I think he's got a tough path, but he's been he's been pretty good. But yeah, it's still not a great win, a loss. Pardon me for for someone like Vukic, who should really like in that match. He has the a huge service edge too. Um, he should have really won that. Sorry, Michelson had had one. Uh, this is his first true grass season. He had one match in 2022, and Savaja had played uh, Wimbledon qualies in the past. I like Kashmanovich on the money line as it comes down here at minus 165. If it's one thing I know that Kashmanovich can do is like create breakpoints. So, and Kashmanovich also has kind of a, he doesn't have a big serve, but he had 13 aces against Wu in that last match. It's pretty decent. I should probably give him more credit than I do because I liked Wu in that match at pick. I actually think that was a pretty good win for Kashmanovich against Wu. Yeah, I mean, Wu just played like crap. And that's that's what happens with a young guy in his first grass court season who has a very volatile, slap-happy, flat-hitting game, right? He's, there's going to be stinkers where he has a ton of unforced errors. I don't think Kashmanovich did anything spectacular to get that over the line. I thought he was a pretty average uh, match from his perspective. It was just Wu Yabing was terrible. And he, he came through. Yeah, I just, I'm not going to go anywhere near a match between me and your freaking Kechmanovich and Alex Vukic on grass personally. I'm going to stay away. All right. What do you think about Fran Sarundolo versus Husler? Mark Andrea Husler. Sarundolo is minus 130 on the money line. Husler is plus 110. The total is at 23. The game spread is one. I famously faded Sarundolo the week before the French Open, and he made it all the way to the finals of that event. So I don't think uh, he's a true candidate to airmail this uh, performance, but he is pretty shaky on grass. Huesler with the bigger serve uh, and maybe more of a traditional grass game coming into this uh, as the dog. What do you think about this one, John? Is this a chance to... I know you're not a fan of Huesler on return on grass uh, as you you, uh, (laughs) bested me with Hijikata against him uh, two weeks ago. I love that kind of setup. You put it right on a tee form. I was going to say, Sarundolo is shaky on grass. Huesler is shaky on a professional tennis court. So, I mean, any court in my mind. So, I mean, you know, the trade-off, I guess, is there. <laughs> I think he's shaky everywhere. He's just, he's not that good. And he's, for me, I was hoping, I honestly thought the market might be stupid enough uh, to bet Huesler into like a favorite position. And they haven't. They left it where it is. It's only moved five cents at Pinnacle from plus 116 to plus 111. I I'm a little annoyed because I think that's the right price. I think Sedundolo is a slight favorite here. He's far more solid. His serve and forehand are still going to play, especially against a trash returner like Marc-Andrea Huesler. He's going to have to get ultra aggressive on return. It's going to end up leading to a lot of errors. And I I don't think Sedundolo is the greatest um, because of the the lower bounce is what's going to hound him more than I think the quick courts. I think he showed us he can play on... Not on indoor hard courts, but on hard courts. He's he had a few grass wins, at least in like qualifying. I think at Queens Club last year, may, might have had a main draw win there as well. He's not totally incompetent on grass courts, but I think the low bounce is what's going to trouble him, and I don't think it troubles Husler as much. So I'm I'm going to stay away from this match because you know one the matchup can work against him in, in certain ways, and two I think the price point is correct. So there's just no incentive for me to jump in. If I for me it looks like a Sedundolo or pass kind of thing though, but yeah, just. Oh gosh, if I can avoid a Huesler match and the I think the price is correct, I'm always going to stay the hell away. 
Mr. J.J. Wolf is taking on my guy, Van Ash, who I like. I, I am surprised that he has made it to this point, to be honest. I thought he was a pretty good fate candidate, uh, especially against Lofhagen, who has played pretty well on the Challenger Tour uh, on grass recently. Wolf is minus three and a half on, on the spread. He's a minus 250 favorite on the money line. Van Ash is plus 200 as the dog. Total is 22 and a half. And I want to build upon what you were saying. Like, I feel like JJ Wolf has a, a, a super great game for grass. Well, one, he's like a really good athlete. So I feel like grass tends to reward athleticism a little bit more because you do have to be a little bit more mindful of your footwork. And two, and he's got that big power game, able to shorten points. JJ Wolf to win in straight sets is even money. I kind of like that more than laying the games with with Wolf, uh, but I do want to find a way to play Wolf here. Yeah, I, I was hoping to get something better than minus two fifty on the money line. That's that's kind of uh, annoying, but again, it's it's another match where I'm just I'm gonna go ahead and pass. I think there's remember the, weeks like this too. There are a ton. There's so much volume to be had in qualies, and they're lesser known players with less like data points that books can and, and traders can kind of muster together or. or I don't know what word I'm looking for, but bring together uh, to kind of get an accurate picture of these players. Plus, they really don't know the style. You can you can adjust your 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 price points on better known players or more well known players by putting some contextualizing the data. Okay, a lot of this stuff was against poor grass quarters. It's a lot tougher for them to do that in slam qualities because it's all challenger tour guys that they don't know as well. They don't know strengths and weaknesses as well. So for me, I I do tend to to stay there. And like I said, I think there's nothing I like really in Eastbourne um, other than like Barrera. I think that Wolf is priced accurately here. He's a huge favorite for probably for a reason. I'm still not sold on Van Ash. I mean, he barely got by George Lofhagen, who for all intents and purposes is not that good of a tennis player. He's a good server. He's got a little bit of power. He's getting better, but he's not good right now. I mean, beating Borna Goyo, that was probably his best win. He was actually down early or kind of like treading water early against uh, Sazi Kumar Makund before running off, I think, the final eight games or or eight of the final ten or eight of the final nine games in that match. And he lost to Henri Squire badly in Halle. And needless to say, Henri Squire is absolute garbage. So I, I don't mind looking for a way to fade Van Ash if you can find some value. But for me, I think it's all priced some relatively decently. Even money for Wolf to win in straight sets. I think that's I think that's worth it. I'll take a shot on the, the Wolfman versus my guy Van Ash. All right, John. Well, let's keep him oh, moving. I wanna, then go ahead. I want to go with the only one I have here. I want to go with Barrer on the money line and the tie break for the first set at plus two forty. So Barrer money line and the the again the the tie break is up at plus two forty. Uh, look, Jari's just always a candidate for tie breaks, regardless of surface. He, I mean, if you want to go from the quantitative standpoint, he's breaking under ten percent of the time in twenty twenty three on grass. Small sample, but we don't really, you're never going to get a big sample on grass, period, right? And he's holding at 94%. And then Barrer, same concept, breaking under 10% of the time this season on grass, holding at over 86%. So uh, these two are great candidates. They both have decent serves. I think Barrer has a sneaky good serve. It's not sheer, like raw sheer power. He does prefer quick courts. He does have the the forehand will play up. He can hit a flatter ball when he needs to. He can play with spin when he needs to, when the situation calls for it to hit through an open court as well. I do think these two um, are more are, are likely to play tie at least a tiebreaker or two 
And so I'll go ahead and take the plus 240 for that to happen in the first set, as well as the money line for Barrera in what I consider a very, very close match. All right, let's go over to Spain in Mallorca. This grass 250 event also started out as a women's event back in 2016, but now it's solely a men's event uh, when the ATP started here in 2021. So it's newer on the tour. Uh, last year, Stefano Tsitsipas beat RBA. Janil Medvedev beat Sam Querrey in one of his last matches in 2021 before Sam Querrey became a turncoat pickleballer. How dare you, Sam? Weather-wise, uh, it looks good. The only clouds in the forecast. Uh, it's going to be hot, though, in the 90s some days. Uh, so Def want some guys you know can handle the heat a bit. Fit, if you will. Big headline so far, Philly Lopez is playing his last tournament and kept his career alive with a straight-set win versus Max Purcell. I missed on that one. Circumstance narrative uh, wins the day in that one. I mean, Purcell was bad. Damn. Oh, he uh, was really bad, dude. He was really bad, man. I, I don't know. He's traditionally a doubles player, right? So, well, I mean, he's also no. I mean, he's he's he was. There's there's a uh, an issue too. You got to remember that sometimes these elite doubles players have to make a choice, right? They, they are good singles players as well. Purcell is a very good, he's a top 100 player right now for a reason, although he he did that a lot at the Asian uh, quick court challengers, but he is a good singles player, has a good serve, good variety, good slice, good at net. The issue is the reason why these guys ha- usually have to choose one of the others. It's the same case with Storm Hunter on the women's side. When you're an elite doubles player, you go to places like Rome, Madrid, to play the doubles events at the Masters events. But you can't get in to the main draw or the qualifying with your singles ranking. So you're basically choosing, do I go play the doubles with my partner or do I go play a 250 that week or or a smaller event to build up my singles ranking? And then you're leaving your partner stranded. And so that's kind of what happened with Max Purcell. And he finally made the decision this year he's going to focus on singles. So I'd say he's more now he's more of a singles player. He's still a very good one. He was just awful today. And I, I think the rust, he hasn't played since the French Open. He withdrew from a challenger last week. I don't think he was at 100% until maybe, the again, the last week or so. And he, he hasn't played since the French, so there could have been some rust there, and it showed. But, um, yeah, I'd still say he's a singles player more than a doubles player now. It's too bad because he's finally, like, he's right into the, the main draw at Wimbledon, which is the slam he would, you would expect him to have the most success at. And he's in, he's totally out of form coming off a bad loss where he played absolutely terribly. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what if he draws, you know, Novak Djokovic or something? It's, it's like he's screwed, poor guy. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina loses to Pavel Kotov, who Kotov lost to world like 400 something uh, in his first grass match a couple weeks ago uh, in a qualifying match. Uh, now he beats a guy who won Wimbledon as a junior. So, <laughs> uh, grass, this surface is just so unique compared to the other two in that it is something that takes some getting used to, but sometimes these guys like improve so quickly it's like you can't you're not going to see it coming even like someone like Alcaraz the best player in the world people were still kind of questioning him at the end of the week after he's been playing so well but I did not think Kotov was going to beat Fokina I mean and you can say it was a dump spot for Fokina still like man no he played his he he played extremely well the first that he played his ass off it was funny the crowd was more on Kotov's side despite it being in Spain, I think it might be a big vacation spot for Russians. <laughs> I don't know. It was really weird to hear them cheering more for Kotov's points than the Davidovich Fokina's, but he just, he just, he played an ADF match, right? Right-handed Shapovalov. Zhang Zhizhen, same thing. Right-handed Shapovalov. He played extremely well in the first set. Crisp hitting, dictated play. He had Kotov on a string, just pulling him around the court. Came into net when he knew that he was going to get a nice, easy volley on a defensive shot from Kotov. Well played, sound, 
fundamental, tactically, everything was working. And then he decided to start drop shotting the second set, and they were horrible and sitting up. And he decided to start hitting errors, and his timing was off. And it's like, you, how was your timing this far off from 10 minutes ago? 10 minutes ago, you're making that exact shot. I don't know. It's just ADF. And then in the third set, you know, uh, uh, double fault cost from the break and just ADF type shit. I don't know if it was a dump spot so much as he he just pulled an ADF. Hate that guy. <laughs> well, it's something I want to note here. Uh, lots of breaks this site for a grass event. 11 breaks in the Jason Kubler, less the end match. 11 breaks in Manorino Paya. I mean, that's a high amount of breaks. Other matches, there were no breaks, so it's not like a hard, crash rule, but uh, it does seem like, I don't know, I just felt like I was seeing that a lot more compared to the, the, the previous weeks on grass. So if you don't have a traditional big server in the mat, there's a very strong likelihood of, of breaks compared to other sites. All right, let's step into some draw talk real quick. So we have Fokina out, who is the two seed on the bottom half, uh, Sitsipas is back in the draw here for some reason. Uh, he clearly doesn't care about tennis, uh, which I don't blame him. I would I'd probably have my attention <laughs> other places as well if I was him in that situation. Um, but he's taking on Yannick Hoffman. Lopez and uh, Thompson will face off. Manorino is a four seed uh, in the Sitsipas bracket. RCB is out. He was another seed. Rendernich, I mean, woof. <laughs> now, Lloyd Harris is a name that we haven't talked about in a while, but he is resurfacing. He's won two matches so far. He beat the clay quarter, Zapata Morales. He beats the big-serving Russian and Sefilian today. I think he hit like 20-plus aces in that match. I mean, I think he's a a solid dark horse here in the bottom part of this bracket uh, when there's literally no one else of note. I mean, there's no big name. It's Lloyd Lloyd Harris versus Kotov. It's going to be the winner of Eubanks. And Shelton taking on the winner of Lestien and Renderknich. One of those players is going to be in the final here. Yeah, jeez. Renderknich, Lestien, Eubanks, Shelton, Harris, or Kotov. Hello. Welcome to the week before a slam, eh? If Stefano Tsitsipas doesn't win this event, just, just retire. Yeah. I mean, sailing, he's... Sailing to the sunset with Paolo. Seriously. My God, this is set up so perfect. Like, I know he's been playing bad, but he is a good, I mean, he is in a vacuum, a top tour player. And you cannot say that about anyone else in this field. No, but everyone, there's plenty of guys that have serves. And that is all you need against Stefano Pass on grass to at least make, turn into a competitive match. I'm not saying all you need to beat him, but all you need to turn the match into a competitive, competitive one is to have a big serve and land it enough. That's the other part too, is you actually have to land the damn serve. If you're not going to serve at a high rate, then he's still going to beat you. He's going to find his breaks with if you if you throw in too many seconds. But yeah, I, I don't I don't hate Humpen's chances if I'm being totally honest. But you know me, I'm a Stefan Grass hater, so I'm going to like everyone's chances from the second round of the final. It's going to be a test of my discipline about whether I can avoid fading him or not too often. Well, he's going to be a hot fade uh, all week uh, by every camper on the timeline, and rightfully so, justifiably so. Let's be real. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, look, Halpin is a plus 333 dog. I know Halpin's not a grass quarter. He looked damn much. good against Kachin. Um, the the tiebreak is plus 250. Steph has played eight sets on grass this year. Six of them have gone 12 games or to a tiebreak. 164 and 162. That's it. I would love to back Ben Shelton in this spot. I've said in the past, I want to be in the, ahead of the curve on Ben Shelton because I do think he's going to win titles on this tour. Uh, but 
uh, his odds are getting a little off the rails against Chris Eubanks, uh, knowing that likely there's going to be at least one tiebreak set. And uh, if it goes three sets, that also decreases the likelihood that Ben Shelton will win because he never wins matches in three sets. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you can get ahead of Ben Shelton anymore, though. Like the market is just overvaluing him like crazy at this point. It feels like the market's ahead of him too far ahead of him, you know, like they're putting his success before even he's having it kind of deal. So, I mean. I think he's another one that's going to be a, a a guy who is always tempting to back on on a quick court with his with his game, and it's like it's like the reverse of Steph. Instead of discipline to 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 not fade, it's going to be discipline to not back him. You know what I mean? I, I would say this: if if Sitsipas beats Hoffman, I wouldn't like just be like blind fading Sitsipas this week, like based off. Uh- I want that rematch with Jordan Thompson. I want my chance to make money after last year at Wimbledon when Sitsi passed for the first time in his life, just thoroughly dominated someone on a grass court. I said this last episode, really? This was the time you decided to step up and dominate on grass? I want that rematch because I will fade him next round again. And I will fade him after that again. And I'll fade him in the final again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Well, let's dip into some uh, some match play talk here. Only a few lines actually to discuss. And yeah, the Ben Shelton one is one I want to want to do. So uh, Ben Shelton is minus 175 on the money line. It's been rocketing up here. Eubanks is up to plus 145. Total is at 25. So, oh man, the total is to the point where it's like, I might be worth just under, might be worth a look, man. It's pretty high. But Eubanks has not been that great on grass. Don't get me. It's not like I'm like coming in here being like Eubanks is being undervalued as a grass court player here. But I do feel like tie breaks are imminent. And as we always say, that's 50-50. If Eubanks is going to grow 25 cents on the money line, he was plus 120. Now he's up to plus 145. It's starting to come become pretty tempting to take a shot on Eubanks. I'm not there yet. But if it hits plus 150... It's over plus 150, yeah. For penny. Plus, plus 151. Oh, sorry, it's at plus 150. Pardon me. Mm. Right on plus 150 at bet 365 and at Pinnacle. Um, It's there. I think... Uh, I want to make the case for, for kind of a little bit of both sides here. I mean, the tiebreak is only plus 163 for the first set. And I, I still think that, that as low as that is, I don't know if it's low enough. Just because, I mean, Ben Shelton's not the greatest returner. Eubanks still has the a booming serve. And Ben Shelton, if he's smart, is just putting every first serve to the one-handed Eubanks backhand. Every single one of them. And it's a it's a point. Like it's a free point if it lands. And then when you talk about, you know, that matchup discrepancy there heavily favors Shelton. If he's able to pick on Eubanks' backhand with his serve and then with his subsequent plus one forehand and just keep going cross court on that forehand wing to that backhand. It's a huge advantage. That said, on the flip side, like you said. These are like we're likely to see tie breaks here, whether it be logically because they're both big servers and poor returners, whether it be if you want to do like line analysis, I, as I say in air quotes, because a lot of people who do line analysis are full of it. But in this spot, if you just look at the total, it's pretty indicative. It's pretty indicative of where the market thinks this is going, right? All t- 12 or 13 game sets as well, aka tie break. And once you get to a tie break, your kind of worst enemy are random unforced errors. And that is Ben Shelton's biggest weakness right now. For a guy with the firepower he has, for the way he moves around the court, for the 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 flashiness of his game, he commits some mind-bogglingly poor errors against a huge server on grass. 
that could be the end of the set. And so that's, a, a, I think, where I, I like the Shelton, or sorry, the, the Eubanks price point at 40%, which is what plus 150 indicates. You've got the market telling you that this is going to be a close match. You've got the serves and the matchup telling you this is going to be a close match. And then you've got the fact that Shelton is more likely to commit those random unforced errors that can cost you many breaks, probably more likely to double fault. If I believe he's got a higher double fault percentage this year as well. I'll have to, to recheck that. But those are all things that could shift the tie break from being a 50-50 to like a 53-47 proposition. So I actually kind of like the Eubanks money line here. Again, like you said, not because we're huge, like Eubanks is a grass goat crowd. But I think when we look at it, um, plus 150 is a little much in what is sure to be or should be a very serve-oriented contest. Yeah, and the athleticism edge, I mentioned how I think athleticism is rewarded on on grass. That's certainly on the Ben Shelton side in this matchup. Uh, But points being as as quick as as they're going to come between these two, that's going to get minimized a bit. Yeah, look at the double fault percentages for uh, just quickly before we go to the next match. Shelton, his, his lowest double fault percentage going back to Madrid was 3.3 and then 4.3. Everything else was 5.9 or above. So basically he's well over six, seven, eight percent of the time he's hitting double faults. Whereas Chris Eubanks in his last, let me just go over his last bunch of matches, 1.9%, 2%, 3.8, 3.7, 3.5. He hasn't been over 4.4% double fault rate since Roland Garros when he lost to Holger Runa. And that was at 5%. So, I mean, it's not like double fault percentage. That's not something that should come into play. And it shouldn't in most matchups. But when you talk about a match that's likely to see one or several tie breaks, one double fault could decide the entire thing. And the more likely player to hit a double fault in the grand scheme is Ben Shelton. So there's 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 reasons to to like both sides. But I think in the end, in a fairly even matchup, that the serve is, the serve is predominant for both and now there's a good returner. I think the plus money is probably the, the better side to, to take here. And you're recommending, of course, a 10-unit max bomb, right? <laughs> yes. If you couldn't tell how confident I was. <laughs> that is sarcasm, folks. Uh, no. <laughs> I do think of, of the bets, as we always look for the pl- the plus EV side, I do think that at this point, the, the plus EV side is on the Eubank side. One I want to hit real quick. Constant Lestien is taking on Arthur Rinderknich, and he's plus 165 Lestien on the money line. Rinderknich is minus 200. Now, let's, this is a pretty one-sided, uh, one-way traffic when it comes to power. Rinderknich is obviously going to be blasting uh, the ball to Lestian's side of the court. But Lestian is a player who could find some passive shots here. What, what do you think of this Battle of Frenchies here, John? Well, that's the thing, too, is there's two types of players and play styles that are rewarded on grass, right? And I, you can look at the women's side, and I'm going to drift a little bit into women's tennis just for a minute here. Don't tune out, folks, to kind of illustrate my point. There is the power aspect. There's also the craft, court craft aspect, right? The Kirsten Flipkins, the Alex Kruniches. There's a lot of players who have had the Sue Shays, right? There's a lot of players who can have success with slicing, keeping the ball super low, a slice that lands in no man's land that barely bounces off the court while your opponent's standing at the baseline, that's almost as good as a winner because if they do get to that ball, they're popping it up in desperation. You've got an easy put away. If they don't get to that ball, it's a literal winner. So that style, court craft, slicing, dicing, counterpunching, that's also rewarded on grass. That's what Constantin does well. Like from a counterpunching perspective, you've got the names like Kennan or potentially Daria Snigur. She lost today, but it's easier to illustrate with women's tennis because there's not a lot of that in men's tennis. 
right? You have a lot of clay court grinders and pushers or a lot of power centric players. Constant Lestienne is the one rare guy that falls into that kind of category. And it's why he's had success on grass this year, or at least, you know, a win over Dennis Kudla, I think is probably more impressive than anything Rinder Kinesh has done other than push Alcaraz, who was, I think in his first match of the year on grass on ground, like losing to Popperin, who hasn't been very good is not a great result. Beating Feli Lopez in a third set tie break when he's on the verge of retirement, not a great result. Losing to Dimitrov by five games, again, not a great result. Beating Rudy Moliker, Rudolf Moliker in three sets, not a great result. He lost here. He's a lucky loser, much like Kotov, because he lost to Abdullah Shelby. Again, that's a bad loss. He was a big favorite. And then he beats Ramos Vignolas, you know, the, the grass goat that is Albert Ramos Vignolas <laughs> in two tie breaks. What has Rinder Kinesha done this year to, to make people think that he warrants this massive uh, favorite valuation? Like, Lestien, sure, lost to Billy Harris. Again, sneaky kind of flat baller. Yun, uh, Jerry Shung, one of the a very good young prospect who had a very good grass season. That was a three-set loss. Zizou Bergs, one of the best challenger tour grass quarters out there. Beat Dennis Kudla. Beat Jason Kubler today. Another very good grass quarter. So I'm actually more impressed with Constant Lestien's body of work so far this season. He has the ideal game to counter Rinder Kinesh's power and service-oriented game. Once that that point starts and it's a it's a baseline battle, it favors Lestien. He has the the slice and the ability to to deaden the ball to take advantage of Rinder Kinesh's immobility. He counter punches well, which should offset the advantage that Rinder Kinesh has in power. It's a perfect matchup for him, and I think again, one seventy five is a bit much. And these guys are both going to be incentivized to make a deep run here. Neither is highly ranked enough to just say screw it, I'm going to Wimbledon. I don't want to be here till Saturday. Uh, they both could use. A boatload of points and a boatload is 250 for them. That is, you know, again, a boatload for the guys in their, in their ranking range. So, yeah, I do like the Lestian side. I'm sniffing a, a classic dog money line over combo here, John. Where's the over at? Is it 23? 21 and a half to. Uh, you can get a 22 and a half at minus 115. That's actually one I would, the rare half game I would pay for. I wouldn't do it on clay. But I do think on grass that uh, I, 23 lands enough for, to make it dude, worth it to just pay that money. I agree. Now, Lestian has been pretty pretty poor from a results standpoint, but I do think Rindernich is only minus 200 because he went to three sets with Alcaraz last week. It has to be, right? Because his, the rest of his results have been crap. Yeah. His wins haven't been impressive. He's barely gotten by guys like Rudolf Moliker, who I don't I don't know if he's ever played on grass. And he's a, he's an erratic player on on clay courts when he has time to set up his damn shots it's just odd to me to see this as such a lopsided match now even if rinder Kinesh wins at 6464 the next time these two play on grass if you price it at plus 175 i'm going to bet less tian again right this is not going to be i'm not going to judge this based on the result of the match i just think that this matchup warrants a, a closer price point sadly those are the only lines that we have up uh aside from the hoffman city pass obviously hoffman at plus 3.30, a uh, small unit play on that just to, to see. Probably worth it given Tsitsipas's current status, <laughs> whatever's going on with him. Or just um, historic historical grass court play outside of this event last year. It's never really been that impressive. I mean, he's been piss poor even for that, man. All right, John, it's your time to shine. Wimbledon qualies. Uh, are there any specific matches that you want to touch on Real quick that our, our listeners should look out for. There's yeah. one there's um, one in particular that I like. 
but keep. I'll see if you hit it. Okay. First off, Fede Gallo has turned himself into a quick quarter. Arnaldi beat Shung. Great win. Nice job. I actually took, ready for this, I took Federico Gallo to win this section and to qualify. He was like a plus 180 dog, I think, in the last round and a plus 250 dog this round. So, I mean, talk about like a hero call. I I think he has a chance to beat Arnaldi. And if he actually qualifies for this section, being a huge dog in all three matches, I will be damn impressed with myself. But I do think Gallo shows a little bit of value here. I think... You know, having it being a, a, a near three to one or in that three to one favorite range for Arnaldi is a little excessive, considering Gaio is a guy who is very good with uh, with his tactics. He's improved his serve a lot. He holds serve uh, on quicker courts a lot more often than he used to when he was a physical grinder. On the other side of thirty years old now, I think um, he's kind of adjusted his game plan to needing more cheap, quick points, and that's good to see. Going down the list, Luca Nardi. I mean, he's not like let's not make any crazy assertions here he's not the greatest grass court in the world i'm not saying he is but tara daniel's more of a slow quarter i was actually surprised at how bad trinjaliti was against him and nardi needed three sets to beat a clay quarter in cavalli so it may not be it may not make my card in the end but that over plus 200 looks like a little much james duckworth count me in at minus 140 i love Harold mayo one of my favorite young players i've bet him a ton this year but we're on a grass court now this is James Duckworth's territory, and he's only like in the minus 135 range. That to me is ludicrous. Uh, and I don't mean the rapper. Then we have Gombosh as a dog against Lokoli. Gombosh's power is massive, it translates across all surfaces. Uh, Gigante is someone that I'm looking at as well, hasn't been bet yet, but he looked surprisingly good against Harry Wendelkin. I know Diallo has got the perfect game for grass, and he's had a pretty good grass season. But he's not the greatest returner. He doesn't have a, the greatest backhand. If Gigante with his lefty game can pick on that and use his big forehand, I was I was really impressed with how he flattened it out because he's a a, 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 a kind of spin-oriented guy. He's got pace, but it's like a heavy ball. He really hit a lot of flat forehands through the courts against Wendelkin. If he can do that against Diallo, he keeps that one closer than the than the odds would indicate. Uh, Max Martyr against Gautier Clay has to be a play for me as well. Um, Shima Bakuro against Toby Samuel. Love Toby Samuel. He beat Bellier for me. You 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 know how much of a fraud I think he is. Uh, and so when I got a, a a wild card Brit who knows how to play on grass against him, auto fired with dog odds. But I think he goes out here. I mean, there's so many to like. Dennis Novak is a favorite. Enzo Cuaco, uh, Federico Ferreira Silva. The list goes on. There's just there's a lot of guys. Who who are you looking at? I want to see what what's the one match you've picked out. Well, this is going to sound gross, John, uh, but uh, Elias Seamer is uh, yeah, growing yeah. as a dog against Fabian Marichon. And uh, I'm pretty sure Marichon is only the favorite uh, because he beat Alcaraz on clay uh, last month. Uh, I actually skipped that match. I'm so It's so funny because I was I had that written down as well. <laughs> Marichon has played one grass match in his entire career. That was his last match. Now, Emer's not a grass goat, but I mean... He has played on the surface. He won a couple matches in qualifying last year. Uh, I just, I'm not sure why Marichon is is a, like decided favorite. Uh, and it's at minus one forty five. You know, people love fading the Emers, so I only think it's going to keep rising. There, there are very rare spots to back Elias Emer, and I, I feel like this is one of them. The other thing too is he is always one of the most talented guys. 
in these kinds of draws because he has tour level talent. The talent's never been in question with him. It's been his motivation, his mindset, his attitude, his whole career, right? And that's also why he's had a good amount of success. One is an underdog because the talent is there when he's engaged. And two, in slam qualities, I think we've seen him. Did he have, did he qualify um, at the French? Or did he get in? Or, or did he get like deep in qual? I can't remember. Uh, he did qualify at the French. He beat Humpman as a massive dog. Passaro as a dog. He was in the Australian Open, or he he lost to uh, Yu Su Su. Remember my favorite guy who scammed his way into the Australian Open, who's already out of Wimbledon qualities. It, it's it's one of those situations again where he's just an undervalued kind of guy. He made the third round of qualities last year at the Australian Open, losing to Tabilo. The French he was out in the first round. He went to third round of qualities at Wimbledon. Only you know who stopped him. McCoopler. So, like, he's a very good player, and it takes these, you know, Kublers or these stronger players generally uh, to take him out. I'm with you. As, at dog odds against a guy who's got one grass court match that included a 1 6 set to Alexi Krutik, I'm not sold on Marishan. I get that his game might translate. There's a lot of people who've picked him, a couple of people that I, I, I know uh, and talk to that know tennis inside out that picked him to qualify from this section. I disagree. I don't think he gets through it. I still think it's a little bit early. And a game that can translate is one thing, but you need time on the surface and in a professional setting to actually get it to that point. I think maybe next year we can talk about Marishan on grass, but I'm with you on Elias Seymour here. Uh, all right, John, check out John's page at Tibbetts Tennis for more qualifying. But I will recap our picks here at Eastbourne and Mallorca. At Eastbourne, I like. Mio Kashmanovic, money line at minus 165. I see it coming down. You, you might even get it cheaper. Uh, I like JJ Wolf winning straight sets. Minus one and a half sets, plus 100, even money. John likes Gregor Barrer, money line at plus 184, and tiebreak at plus 240 against Nico Jari in Mallorca. We both think the plus EV side and Eubanks. Shelton is Eubanks money line at plus 151 up from plus 120 at open. And we like Lestien money line at plus 165 versus Rendernich. If you want to cover yourself with an over, John found a 22 and a half at minus 110 out there. No, just give me Lestien. I might actually take Lestien 2 nothing too. There I'm thinking go. about it. I'm thinking about getting getting spicy with it. Again, low volume here. Don't go crazy because we're going to have a big Wimbledon show at the end of this week where we're going to be wanting to to fire heavy and often. Slam week, baby. On the horizon. We've said it all for for now. Follow John at Tibbetts Tennis, at Jared Tweets Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Please give us a five-star rating if you have not. Follow us if you have not on your favorite podcast platform until next time see you on the court